This evening I'm going to be preaching from Luke chapter 6, verses 47 to 49. Luke chapter 6, verses 47 to 49. While you're looking that up, I'm just going to change one sound setting. Listen Jesus is speaking and he says, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Let's pray together. Oh God, help us now as we consider this section of scripture, impress its truth upon our hearts and minds, we pray. And it's in Jesus' name that we ask these things. Amen. Well, I've entitled my message tonight, Weathering Storms with or without a Foundation. And that should give you an idea of where I'm going with what I'm about to say. Imagine you had a plan to build a beautiful, luxurious, two-story house, huge, 5,000 square feet, a wraparound porch on the ground level, and a balcony opening off your bedroom on the upper level. All the finishes inside are top quality and suited exactly to your taste, whatever it is that you like. Stainless steel appliances, granite countertops, marble floors, or hardwood if you prefer a more rustic look, whatever it is that you like, but this is your dream house. And yet you're spending so much money on the finishes that you decide to save a little bit of money by skipping the step of digging down to the rock and laying a foundation. And instead, you begin building your dream house right on top of the soil. Or worse yet, on the beach, because you want a nice ocean view. Waterfront property. Well, foolish. Ridiculous, of course, you would say. But most in our world today are doing a spiritually analogous thing. Most people are building their lives, trying to build their dream lives as we might build a dream house. Making memories, creating wealth, erecting walls of protection from the dangers out there covering themselves with a roof of various plans to shelter them from the inevitable difficulties that rain down upon us all. And yet they have neglected to lay a foundation, equally foolish and ridiculous. This pandemic is showing us all just how stable most people's lives are. How are your walls of protection holding up? Do you see any cracks yet? 
Many people are already. But what if this self-isolation, drastic measures of shutting down businesses and putting restrictions on movement, what if all of this lasts a whole other month or two? Maybe you might not be seeing cracks in your walls of protection yet, but what will happen after another month of this? What about your roof, so to speak, the shelter that you have set up to protect you from difficulties? Is there any water getting through yet? Again, what if this self-isolation goes on? What if these measures go on? What if, or not to fearmonger, but when you or one of your loved ones gets the coronavirus, what then? Now, even if you do lay a foundation, it doesn't mean that you won't experience cracks in the wall or leaks in the roof or whatever else with the passage of time. But it does mean, if you lay a foundation, that the storms of life, so to speak, won't devastate you the way that they devastate those without a foundation. And that is the primary point that Jesus was making in Luke chapter 6. 47 to 49, which I read for you a moment ago. That is the primary point that Jesus is making when he compares people that build their lives on his word with people who don't. One group of people are like those who have a foundation, and one people are like those who don't have a foundation. Christians are not exempt from suffering. But because we have a foundation, even suffering doesn't devastate us the way that it devastates the rest of the world. Because suffering can't completely wash away our lives. Listen, suffering can and suffering will eventually completely wash away the lives of unbelievers. I came across a beautiful poem written just this past week by the 10-year-old daughter of a friend of mine. The frogs croak, the birds cheep, it's spring, it's spring. Nobody mopes, nobody cries, nobody can in this happy time. Boots stomp through the mud and muck and through the babbling creek. Rabbits and snakes and all creatures meet, come to look who sings through their street. It's spring, it's spring. And when you come home and look at your house, the walls are dull white and seats black as night. Remember the woods with its walls of green, the stumps like copper gleam. But most of all, remember, it's spring, it's spring. And I love that poem because it captures the relative innocence and the zest for life of childhood. Well, the pandemic rages around us. Just this past week, here is this sweet young girl writing, nobody mopes, nobody cries, nobody can in this happy time. Her heart is filled with imaginings of tromping through the mud and the muck in rubber boots to the background noise of a babbling creek. She has not a care in the world. But life doesn't stay that way forever, does it? Eventually, the simple joys of a trek through the forest, 
surrounded by walls of green and stumps like copper gleaming in the sun. Eventually, these simple joys are offset by the various difficulties of life from which, from which children are often largely sheltered. Financial pressures, sickness, disease, death. Most people can tolerate a certain amount of adversity, a certain strength of storm, reasonably well. But when tragedy strikes, when loved ones die, when a terminal disease is contracted, when life savings disappear in a financial downturn, when a marriage falls apart or whatever it is that your life is built upon begins to erode, when you start to feel that which you've been clinging so tightly to begin to slip through your fingers, you can't handle it. There are those who put on a brave face, to be sure. Those who seem invincible, undaunted, even by death itself. You might consider the words of another poem, Invictus, by William Ernest Henley. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate have charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Do you hear it? Unconquerable, unbowed, unafraid. This is the boast of many, even to their deathbed. We think of maybe the David Goggins types. Wikipedia describes him as an American ultra marathon runner ultra-distance cyclist, triathlete, motivational speaker, and author. He is a retired United States Navy SEAL and former United States Air Force Tactical Air Control Party member who served in the Iraq War. He is the former world record holder for the most pull-ups done in 24 hours. His self-help memoir, Can't Hurt Me, was released in 2018. And Goggins is famous also for his YouTube videos which tell you basically to man up and make something of your life as he himself has supposedly done. And these videos conclude with a macho slogan, stay hard. Goggins, William Ernest Henley, and those like them would likely tell you that no storm could completely wash them away. No storm could render them conquered, bowed, afraid. But even these men are not truly invincible. Even these men will not be perpetually undaunted by suffering. Many a strong man has been brought to his knees even on this side of the grave. History is littered with men once strong and proud, rendered weak 
and overcome at the conclusion of their lives. A recent film portrays a hitman in the Italian mafia going about life seemingly without fear, seemingly untouchable by all the dangers around him, all while carrying out his sordid work. And the final scene was intriguing to me, and spoiler alert if you know what movie I'm talking about. In the final scene of this movie, this character, this hitman, is now an elderly man living in a residence for senior citizens. And it's Christmas time, and he's all alone. He's alienated from his family with no one interested in visiting, except the local Roman Catholic priest. But even the priest has just informed the old man that he's going to take a break over Christmas and won't be back to see him until after Christmas time. And so the man will spend Christmas alone. And so there's this once strong, unconquerable, unbowed, unafraid man sitting in his room alone. And as the priest leaves the room, the old man says, Father, do me a favor. Don't shut the door on the way out. I don't like that. Just leave it open a little bit. The implication is clear after watching the whole movie. He's lonely and he's afraid. The suffering of his life has caught up finally with even him. And it has washed away all that he has built. He has nothing left. And even for those who die with a stiff upper lip, with a fist clenched, raised in defiance to the heavens as if they have conquered without the need for divine aid all the way along, they show up at the judgment seat of God on the other side. And they are utterly overwhelmed by the just wrath of a holy God. As the scripture says, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. Goggins, Henley, Frank Sheeran, you, me, without Christ Jesus, we have no foundation. And sooner or later, everything we have built will be swept away. Sooner or later, the sufferings of this life or the sufferings of the afterlife catch up with us and wash away everything that we have built. Our wealth disappears. Our sex appeal disappears. Our bodies can't play the sports that we used to love. The balances of joy and sorrow tip increasingly away from joy and towards sorrow. Our loved ones die, and eventually we do too. And we come to meet our maker, not unconquered, unbowed, and unafraid, but naked, alone, and vulnerable. Make no mistake, it is just a matter of time. If you have built, if you are building your life, 
without a foundation on the word of God. The words of Jesus, hearing them and doing them. Everything that you are building will one day be swept away. If it hasn't happened to you yet, it will. For some, it's happening right now as stocks plummet. Or people you love are being infected with this virus, or you've lost your job, or whatever else may be happening at this time of great uncertainty and upheaval. You are realizing just how tenuous all that you have built really is. And you are realizing that your life is not resting on a very firm foundation. There's nothing underneath it all that can remain when all else is gone. Suffering can and eventually will completely wash away everything that unbelievers have built because there is no foundation underneath it. But suffering cannot completely wash away the lives of believers in Christ. I'm not here to peddle the lie that believing in Jesus will render you immune to the coronavirus or that believing in Jesus will render you immune to financial ruin or that believing in Jesus will render you immune to any other kind of suffering or disappointment. Notice Jesus does not say in Luke 6 that the house built upon the rock will not experience any storms. He just says that the storm won't wash away what's been built. Anyone who says that those who are trusting in Christ will not experience any storms are misleading you. Even if they are a Christian preacher, they are misleading you. We are not promised that we will not experience any storms. Christians suffer just like everyone else. But when we Christians lose our jobs and our wealth is gone, we are not completely swept away. When we Christians are hurt deeply by the actions of those whom we loved and trusted, we are when the pleasures of this life are stripped from us one by one with the process of aging and decay, we Christians are not completely swept away. When we get sick, we are not completely swept away. And listen, even when we Christians die, all that we have built, is not completely swept away because we have a foundation underneath it all and that makes a difference down here in Barbados we keep a keen eye on the storms that develop in the Atlantic over the course of hurricane season because though we've been spared and are often spared by the storms that come west across the Atlantic any one of them could hit us and if one did, and we all took shelter, and we rode out the storm, and then we emerged from our shelter afterward, those whose houses had foundations wouldn't see absolutely nothing. Their roof may be gone, their walls may be severely damaged or even blown away, but at least the foundation would still be there. There's still something left. So it is with the Christian. There's always still something left. Underneath everything else, underneath the business that we must attend to while we make our way through this world, underneath the relationships that we must navigate as we make our way through this world, 
underneath the hobbies that we engage in, underneath our desires and our interests, underneath it all, there is something that can never be taken from us. Something that can never be swept away. Look again at the passage that I read to you at the beginning, Luke 6, 47 to 49. Jesus says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the streams broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Hearing the words of Jesus and doing them. In other words, bringing your lives into conformity to Jesus' teaching is like having a foundation for your life. And nothing can take away that foundation. You can be a Christian at any time and in any place and under any circumstances. You can't be youthful at all times and in any place and under any circumstances. You can't be wealthy at all times and in any place and under any circumstances. You can't have superficial fun at any time and in any place and under any circumstances. But you can always be a Christian. You can always hear and do the words of Jesus, whatever the circumstances. When that is your foundation, when that's what you're building upon, when that's the overarching principle, when that's the guiding principle of your life, when that is what it all comes down to, at the end of the day, that's the most important thing. That's the firm footing that you're on, is hearing and doing the words of Jesus. Then your life always has purpose. Your life always has joy. Your life always has hope. Let me expand on that. The first step in hearing the words of Jesus and doing them is to believe the words of the good news or the gospel that he came to bring us. Saying, I have come to seek and to save the lost. I came to call sinners to repentance. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. We are all, myself included, we are all deserving of punishment for our sin. We have all done things that God says we shouldn't have. We have all left undone things that God says we should have done. The law of God is summed up in the Bible as loving God and loving your neighbor. And none of us have done those things as we ought to have. We're all lawbreakers deserving of a penalty. But Jesus came to take the penalty that we deserve for our sin as our substitute. Dying on the cross to bear God's wrath in our place. And by believing in him, which means shifting our confidence away from ourselves and onto Jesus, we have the forgiveness of sins. And if we've truly believed in him, if we've truly taken to heart what he said, 
that we are sinners and that we need a savior and that he came to save us. We believe that message. We've heard that word and we've, we've done it, so to speak. We've responded to that word. Then it means that there's been a change in our thinking and there's been a change in our trust, which will be accompanied by a change in our love so that we no longer love the things that caused our Savior to die. We no longer love our sin, but we love Jesus. And therefore, we want to do what pleases him. And so we continue to hear his words and do them, having believed that basic message in the first place, that we need him, that we ought to trust him to save us from our sins. We continue to hear Jesus' words and do them. Everything he teaches us about who we are, about who he is, about the way that we should live as we go through this world. That's what the genuine Christian life looks like after conversion, hearing Jesus' words and doing them. Believing in the gospel that Jesus preached in the first place about salvation in him, and then continuing to heed his words every step of the way, seeking to bring our lives into conformity to his teaching. That's what the genuine Christian life looks like. And so we begin to live with God at the center, seeking to love him, love God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. God becomes central instead of ourselves. And we begin to love our neighbors. Instead of focusing on what can I get, we begin to be givers as God would have us be, serving, caring for, pouring out our lives for the sake of the people around us, loving God and loving our neighbors is what our lives begin to look like as we hear and do Jesus' words. And this gives our life purpose that transcends our circumstances. Because whether rich or poor, whether sick or healthy, whether young or old, whether comfortable or suffering, we may live out this purpose of loving God and loving neighbor. Nothing can take that away. No circumstance can stop us from loving God and neighbor. And so we have a purpose that can't be washed away by the storms of life. And when our hearts have changed to hate sin and to love Christ, this kind of life brings us great joy. So we are joyful, whether rich or poor. We're joyful, whether sick or healthy. We're joyful, whether young or old. We're joyful, whether comfortable or suffering. And this is not a chipper, superficial kind of happiness that's just oblivious to the difficulties of life. Just It's not like merely being in a good mood. It's not like Christians are in a good mood all the time. But this joy is a deep and abiding sense of well-being and satisfaction, knowing that we are rightly related to God and that we are living in a way that pleases him, and knowing that God himself is with us by his spirit who has been given to us through Christ. God is with us in all the ups and downs, in all the storms of life. He will never leave us nor forsake us, and that brings us great joy. And it's a joy which can never be washed away by a storm of this life. Because what our joy is rooted in is not something that can ever change or be taken away. We are still reconciled to God. We are still his people. He still 
with us. And so we have a purpose that transcends our circumstances and a joy that transcends our circumstances. And we have great hope, a hope that transcends our circumstances. For the Christian, things get better. For the unbeliever, gravity and old age and entropy catch up with us and our bodies begin sagging, falling apart. Our wealth can't prolong our life indefinitely. There comes a point where you're still breathing, but many of the pleasures of life have faded. And then you face only an eternity separated from God in hell. The unbeliever is living his best life now, and it only goes downhill from here. But for the Christian, things get better. Every year that passes and brings with it the waning of earthly pleasures also brings us one year closer to pleasures at God's right hand forevermore. We live with purpose and with joy now and a sure and unshakable hope of life everlasting on the other side. So I repeat, hearing the words of Jesus and doing them, in other words, bringing your life into conformity to his teaching is like having a foundation for your life. And nothing can take away that foundation. Because you can be a Christian at any time, in any place, and in any circumstance. You can always hear the words of Jesus, believe them, live them out, no matter what the circumstance. When your life is built on that foundation, with that as your overarching principle, as your guiding principle, when that is what you're building your life upon, the basis of all that you do, nothing can really take that away. Nothing can wash away a life of purpose and joy and hope in Christ Jesus. You can be purposeful, joyful, and hopeful in health and in sickness, in prosperity and in poverty, in youth and in old age, in comfort and in suffering. This is what Jesus is teaching us here in this passage. So what to do then? What response does this call for in you? First, believe in Christ. Take him as your savior. Trust when he says, I have come to call sinners to repentance and repent. Trust, believe, hear his words and respond to them when he says, I came to seek and save the lost. Admit that you are lost. And cry out to him to save you. Believe in him. For he said, whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. Hear those words and do them, so to speak. It's grammatically a little bit strange to say it like that, but when he says, hear the words and do them, he means not only just hear it and let it pass in one ear and out of the other, but in action, in light of what he said. 
hear the gospel that Jesus himself spoke, that he came to save sinners and respond to that. Many are watching Christian services all over the world tonight, earlier today, this morning, we'll be again next Sunday, who are not yet trusting in Christ Jesus. I don't know who's all watching right now this particular broadcast, but perhaps some of you are in this category. You're not trusting in Christ Jesus to save you from yourself. You haven't even heard that most basic and fundamental message of Christ, believe in me. And you haven't responded to that. That's where it all starts. Don't just skip that step and then just try to live by the rest of his teaching. Get that fundamental step right. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That's the first step in hearing Christ's words and doing them. And if you've taken that first step already, you believed what Jesus said, that he came to seek and save the lost. You believe that he came to call sinners to repentance and you've turned away from your sin and shifted your confidence for your standing before God, away from your own supposed righteousness and onto the righteousness of Christ. You're trusting that when Jesus died at Calvary, that he died to bear your sin there. You've already taken that first step and believed the gospel. Continue hearing the rest of Christ's words in Scripture. Spoken sometimes from his own apostles, whom he gave authority to speak in his name, given at other times through the prophets, who likewise have authority to speak in his name. In the writings of Scripture, hear the voice of God, hear the voice of Christ Jesus speaking. Hear those words and do them. Respond. Don't just let it go in one ear and out the other. Notice that Jesus contrasts those who hear and do, not with those who don't hear at all, but with those who hear and don't do. Verse 49, but the one who hears and does not do them, the one who hears and does not do them, is like the man who built a house on the ground without a son. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Don't just hear the rest of Christ's words and let it go in one ear and out the other. Hear the rest of Christ's words and respond to those also. Not just the gospel, but seek to respond to everything that Jesus taught with whatever it calls forth from you. If it calls you to a change in action, then change your actions. If it calls you to a change in belief, then change your beliefs. If it calls you to a way, a different way of thinking, then change your way of thinking. But when you hear Christ's words, hear it and do it. Respond to what Christ says in the scripture. And that is the best way to build a life, Jesus says, because nothing can completely wash that kind of life away. Whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you're healthy, whether you're in sickness, whether you're in poverty or prosperity, you can always hear the words of Christ, respond to them with faith, obedience, repentance, conforming your mind to the things that are taught. Whatever it is that the scripture calls forth from you, Respond to it. 
that kind of life can never be completely washed away. You can always do that. You can always live like that, no matter the circumstances. And there's purpose in that. There's joy in that. And there's hope in that. That varying circumstances can never change, can never wash away. So you'll be able to weather the storm of this pandemic the way that you can weather any and all storms of life with confidence that having built your house upon the rock, you will not be utterly swept away.